Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I'll be reading the entire chapter, but we're going to be focusing just on the first verse. Hebrews chapter 11, the word of the Lord. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city with hatched foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city." By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a-dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Amen and amen. See why that's such a famous chapter. First verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Pretend for a moment you're an American Indian and you're living in the 1500s. A missionary who's learned your language tells you that what you believe about the Great Spirit is all wrong. In fact, the Great Spirit, whom the missionary appears to call God, has a spirit son. The Great Spirit doesn't have a wife, but he has a son. Now, you're the Indian. This is the Indian thinking. Now, this son is also God. In fact, he created the universe. But he's not the great spirit. But there's not two gods. One day, many moons ago, the great spirit caused a human woman to have a baby, but no man was involved. And his spirit son became a human and was that baby. He grew up just like every other child, and nobody could tell by looking at him that he was anyone special, much less God. He was just another human being. A car, you might want to read those later if you don't mind. Sorry. He was just another human being, a carpenter by trade. But one day he started doing miracles like turning water into wine, healing people, even bringing dead people back to life. He said so many astonishing things that people said nobody ever talked like him. But the rulers were afraid of him and they tortured and killed him even though he was God and he could have prevented all that. He didn't, and all his followers ran away, and and some denied they ever even heard of him. 
And three days later, he rose from the dead. And 40 days after that, he flew up into heaven. And if you believe all that, you'll go to the great hunting ground in the sky. And if you don't believe it, you'll be thrown into a big fire where you'll still be alive and you'll be tortured forever. Well, you as the Indian would likely say that is the most absurd story you've ever heard. Which is saying something when it comes from someone who believes that the earth is carried on the back of a giant turtle. I mean, if you want to invent a story people might believe, you'd never come up with something as far out as that. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Why would the Great Spirit want a son? How can the Son be God and the Great Spirit be God, yet you say there are not two gods, only one? What's that you say? There's another God you call the Holy Spirit? But there still aren't three gods or just one? How many gods can you have and still say there's only one? Even us Indians know that three is not one. And why would he make his son into a human baby? How can a helpless baby be God? And how can God die? You know, today people have much the same reasons for questioning the gospel as that in mythical Indian in the 1500s. And even if the historical and archaeological evidence convinces them that Jesus existed and that he actually performed what the ancients call miracles, we know, don't we, that what their superstitious minds thought were miracles were simply things they might just didn't know about that we know about today. Uh, what they thought, you know, they were just magic tricks that any good magician can perform. And this rising from the dead... Well, we know people don't rise from the dead. We've never seen that or heard about that, except in in your Bible. Uh, One very popular book I remember when I was in college said that when Jesus was on the cross, uh, when they gave him the sponge, uh, that that had a a drug in it. And uh, this was written by a pastor, by the way, a theologian, as he calls himself. And uh, he... Uh, Jesus drank this drug and he fell into a coma that looked like death. Slowed down his heart so much it looked like he was dead. And then once he was in the tomb, his disciples revived him and and then said he rose from the dead. Or maybe it was done some other way. Of course, nobody who dies can rise again. But even if you convince them that somehow Jesus did rise from the dead, well, guess what? They've got an answer to that too. Even the Bible says if you, you know... Even if one were to rise from the dead and go, go back to the, to, uh, uh, the uh, rich man's brothers uh, and warn them, they wouldn't believe him either. Uh, but contemporary people, they have an answer to that. Because he, Christ was a great magician, he knew occult Egyptian arts, which are now lost to the world. And someday our scientists will recover these ancient techniques and also raise people from the dead. In fact, we'll do Jesus even better. Someday we'll conquer all causes of death and man will live forever. He will be as God, knowing good and evil. So modern man's arguments are logically consistent and logically irrefutable. Christ was a great magician, but that doesn't... Now, they'll say, well, Christ was a great magician. That magician, that doesn't mean I have to believe everything he said. I mean, Penn and Teller are great magicians, but I don't believe everything they say. I don't think I'll go to hell because of it. So what does all this have to do with our verse in chapter 11, verse 1? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Actually, when I was 
writing this sermon, something struck me that, you know, you, you probably read that verse many times, and I hadn't seen something. We just, wow. So I did a little more research. Um, Alentius is conviction, and that's what's the Greek word that's translated as evidence. Uh, it's it's in, our, in our King James Bible. Uh, pistis, belief. Um, and hypostasis, uh, when it, it says the substance of things hoped for, another uh, way to say it, it's the assurance of things hoped for. Uh, it's translated elsewhere in the Bible as assurance. So we can say that uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. Substance, evidence, conviction, assurance. Now you'd think it'd be the other way around. It says faith is the substance, if you look at the verse, the evidence. It's the substance and the evidence in our English Bible. You would think it'd be the other way around. Doesn't evidence produce faith? I mean, we look at the evidence, like a courtroom. We're on a jury, and we judge the evidence. And then if we believe it, we have faith that the person is guilty or innocent or not guilty. Well, not according to the Lord. The Lord says faith is the evidence. Wow. And it's all the evidence we need. A.W. Tozer wrote, True faith rests upon the character of God and asks no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. It is enough that God has said it. Now, I'm sure when you presented the gospel to people, you've often heard their response, some response like this, Well, I need the evidence, and if I'm convinced, maybe I will believe. Try to convince me with arguments, or proofs from archaeology, or... Uh, from science, from history. Now, of course, those have to be scholars that I've decided to trust and books I've decided to trust who meet the test of my own reason. Then I might believe the Bible, or at least I'll believe the parts I agree with. To modern man, the Bible is on trial, and they're the judge. They will judge whether or not the Bible is true, and only then will they believe it, or not, or some of it. Which is actually a faith that's on their own terms, isn't it? on their own definition of what faith is. Now, sadly, that's how many evangelical Christians witness to people. They talk about what Christ has done in their lives. They cite proof from what is called evidences, your own conversion, your own new life, and harder evidences from archaeology, from science, from history. Um, Or they'll say, well, You don't have to understand it. Just take a leap of faith. Just take that leap of faith. They try to talk people into the kingdom. And don't mistake me. They're very sincere about it. uh, And I love them for it. But, you know, you can be still very sincere and wrong. The Lord says in this verse in Hebrews that faith is the evidence. That faith comes before evidences, if I can extrapolate from that. Uh, we know that from Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, the faith not of yourselves, the faith is a gift from God. In fact, 
faith is the evidence, all the evidence you need. And that's backward to the way Western minds think. The Bible says faith must govern our reason, not the other way around. The Bible says that wisdom surpasses reason. Now we think wisdom and reason are the same, but that is not true. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I've heard that many times. And there are other verses very similar to that, if not exactly, in Proverbs. And I've listed them for you on the handout, so you don't have to worry about writing them all down. And that applies to all people. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Think about it this way. All people have reason, unless they're you know, mentally impaired or something. They know enough not to drink poison or to step in front of a speeding car. But not all people fear the Lord, do they? So there's a difference between reason and wisdom. Faith, so-called, that comes from reason is not really faith at all because faith is a gift from God, as he tells us in his word, the Bible. To think that you can get faith from reasoning apart from God is like thinking you can get a Mercedes by reasoning with a dealer. There's several kinds of responses to the gospel that appear to be faith, but they don't save. Remember Felix, the governor of the Roman province of Judea? Uh, His name was Antonius Felix. He was the governor following in the infamous infamous line of Pilate. He ruled Judea from AD 52 to 60, and he required his position because his brother Paulus, or Pallus rather, P-A-L-L-U-S, was friends with Emperor Claudius, not because he had any leadership qualities, which some things never changed. (laughs) The Apostle Paul actually lived in his house. He roomed with him for two years. Now think of someone, I was a prisoner, but he lived, he lived in the house. Now think of someone you're close to, maybe your father, your mother, sister or brother, and think, particularly if they're unbelieving now, if Paul moved in with them for two years, what do you think would happen to their faith? I mean, what an opportunity for them to be saved, right? How could they not confess after having the Apostle Paul telling him about him every day at the dinner table and, and giving him the Word of God and reasoning with them and talking to them? and How you and I wish Paul could have lived with us, leading prayer and Bible studies with our family every night? Not Felix. Not Felix. He rejected everything that Paul proclaimed. Please look at uh, Acts uh, chapter 24. Twenty-four. Uh, let's see. Begin with uh, verse twenty-four. Um, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered. Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Well, procrastinating Felix, who said, Well, go away now, and when I feel like it, when it's convenient for me, I'll call you back. Felix, assuming he didn't have a 
last moment conversion is in hell now. He's all with the rest of those who said, well, you know, you Christians go away now. When I have more time, when I feel like it, I'll think about Christ. I have plenty of time. Then tomorrow, when they suddenly find they're, they're lying on a cold concrete highway and the drunk driver hit them head on and their bodies pouring out their life blood by the gallons on that cold highway, they'd start maybe they'll start thinking about Christ. Or maybe not. Maybe they think about their loved ones and all the things they wish they'd said and all their regrets. Or, or maybe they're not even conscious at all and never have even a moment to think about any of that. And then they die. I hope you're not the one putting off thinking about Christ and his claims on your life today. Are you going to be in a car driving home today? Especially in this weather? Some people are like King Agrippa, who not only tremble before God's word, but are almost persuaded by it. Uh, And also in the book of Acts, chapter 26, the Apostle Paul had just preached to Agrippa the good news of Christ, and he told Paul that he was almost persuaded to be a Christian. Almost persuaded. You know what's missing in people like Agrippa? Repentance. They're almost persuaded to turn to Jesus Christ, but they have no repentance. Very popular tract that's been around for years about uh, witnessing to Christ. You know, you need to make a decision for Christ. An Armenian tract made a decision for Christ, and he has a wonderful plan for your life and all this. You know the tract I'm talking about doesn't talk about repentance they're almost persuaded to turn to Christ but they have no repentance others go further even desire the gospel and read the Bible or hear it preached faithfully and say yes I think that's true but it has to enter your heart before you can repent see these attitudes come about when people are exposed to the gospel and their conscience tells them that's true Romans 1.19, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them. The way you reach the lost is their knowledge of God in their heart. Everybody has it's been planted in their heart, Scripture says. That which may be known of God is manifest to them. That's why they have no excuse. But they are in rebellion against God, refuse to come to Him to be saved, even though they know in their heart that the gospel is true. It rings in their heart. So what do we call that? Well, I, you know, I, my attitude is, yes, I think that's true. I have faith. I believe in Christ, but there's no repentance. You might call that counterfeit faith. I'm sure you've known people like that. Because we're not to, not to be too hard on people because we're all, we're all sinners and we're all lost uh, without Jesus Christ. But it's not really a faith in God. It's a faith about God. And James 2.19 tells us exactly what that is. You believe that there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. I hope you tremble before God. I pray you fear Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But just believing that there is a God is not enough. The devils do it too. Just believing and trembling you'll go to hell for your sins is not enough. If that is all your faith is, you're just afraid of damnation, but you're not afraid of sinning. You're afraid of hell, but you're not afraid of your lusts. You're afraid of being cast into the pit, but you're not afraid to harden your heart against God's commands. 
If it's only hell that you fear, then if hell were to disappear, so would your repentance. You'd sin with abandon if you didn't think there'd be hell to pay, literally. Now don't be deceived. Examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Ask yourself if you have that which is repentance unto life. For you may humble yourself for a time and yet never repent before God. You may confess and acknowledge your transgressions, yet have no abhorrence of sin. And if you don't, in the strength of God, resist sin. If you don't turn from it, this fancied repentance shall be, as Spurgeon said, just a pretty suit on a corpse. Now, just believing there is a God, heaven and hell isn't enough. You must believe that he is, as we read that He sent His only Son to die on the cross for your sins, and that He rose again from the dead to give you eternal life. Genuine saving faith in Christ is true repentance, turning away from our sins and unto Christ. It's not just being sorry for your sins. It's turning away from your sins and under Christ and total trust in Him and His finished work on the cross that He paid for your sins, that you are sinless before God the Father in His righteousness. Charles Spurgeon said, Beware, I pray you, of presuming that you are saved. If your heart is renewed, if you hate the things you once loved and love the things you once hated, if you've really repented, if there is a thorough change in mind in you, if you are born again, then you have reason to rejoice. But if there is no vital change, no inward godliness, if there is no love to God, no prayer, no work of the Holy Spirit, then you're saying, I am saved is but your own assertion. It may delude, but it will not deliver you. We talked about reason a few moments ago. And maybe you thought, well, surely he's not saying you should believe something in the Bible if it goes against your reason. That would be irrational. That is precisely what I'm saying. And to the unbeliever who says, well, that's irrational, you need to explain, you need to know yourself that all reasoning is circular. It all starts somewhere. So even the rationalist starts with the belief that his reason is correct. And if you ask him to prove it, he'll say, I can't prove my reason is correct. It's a, it's a given. Well, everything is a given. The Bible, the Word of God for Christian is a given. There's no proof beyond that. You're never allowed your reason to sit in judgment of God and His Word. And here's why. Human reason is a marvelous gift. It helps to live us lives and our lives in countless ways. We couldn't function in life without our reason. It's a great gift. It's a great tool. But that's all it is. You don't confuse the gift with the giver. Reason is not God. And you're not to make it a God. It's not infallible. Why God is, have you ever made a mistake in reasoning, math, or whatever? Of course. Or decided to do something that made sense at the time, but later you regretted doing it? We all have done that. It's because our reason is corrupt. It's infected and imperfect. It's infected by sin. Our reason fell, became corrupt in the Garden of Eden, along with our wills and everything else about us. The problem with evidential apologetics is they forget about it or don't believe that our reason fell in the garden. Our reason fell 
It's still a very good tool, but it's not a perfect tool. It's off. Uh, Dr. Cornelius Van Til explained it uh, this way. He said a man's reason is like a fine table saw. Every time he cuts a board, he thinks he's cutting it at precisely the right angle. But he he doesn't know when he goes from the shop to get a cup of coffee that his six-year-old son played with the settings. Every angle is slightly off. So the man is trusting a faulty tool and doesn't even know it. That's your reason. Sin has played with the dials, and you don't know it. A lot of people trust this faulty tool. In fact, they honor it. They let the reason control them, which is to say they make their reason their God. They let their reason decide what they'll believe about the Bible, what parts they will believe, what parts they won't. You ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? Thomas Jefferson took the Bible, uh, took the, the Gospels, and he tore out the parts that he didn't think were actually true, like the miracles of Christ and all. And then he cut and pasted the stuff that he believed, and that's called the Jefferson Bible. You can go buy one and read it today. Thomas Jefferson did that. So that's, that's what reason will do to you. But God didn't give us this gift of reason, so we turn it against him. It's because of our corrupt sin nature that's, that we do so. Isn't it the height of absurdity to take a gift of God and use it to try to prove that he doesn't exist? To take the gift of reason and try to prove that his word is not true? If he hadn't given you reason in the first place, you couldn't make those judgments. Uh Another quote from Dr. Van Til, the non-Christian needs the truth of the Christian religion in order to attack it. As a child needs to sit on the lap of its father in order to slap the father's face, so the unbeliever as a creature needs God, the creator and providential controller of the universe, in order to oppose this God. Without this God, the place on which he stands does not exist. can't stand in a vacuum. God created the unbeliever and he created you know, every breath he takes and every heartbeat he makes and every thought he has and he uses that and say, well, there's no God. Without that, he couldn't have done it. He's like a child in, a, in, a, in her father's lap slapping him. So it's not to be our God in control of our lives telling us what to believe about God and what not to believe. It's not, reason is not competent to judge God. It was never meant to be. It is to bow before God and serve him and us. When God says something in the Bible and our reason says, well, that can't be right, we're to tell our reason the same thing the Lord told the demon in Luke 4.35. Be quiet. The ground of faith is the word of God, not the reasonableness of what God says, but the simple fact that he says it. Let me say that again. The ground of faith is the word of God, not the reasonableness of what God says, but the simple fact that he says it. Faith rests immediately upon, thus saith the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith is belief, but it is belief in what God has said in the Bible. You can't separate belief from knowing the Bible. True belief. You can't separate true belief from knowing the Bible. Those who say, I believe in Jesus without knowing much about him, believe in a figment of their imagination. There's a columnist in our local paper who's a pastor at a large fundamentalist Bible church. And uh, he writes a column pretty much every week. Generally good. 
generally good column. He's a graduate of the Master Seminary, and uh, uh, so you know, given the town we live in, it's, he's about the best there is. And uh, he he wrote a, and usually very good in his column, but he wrote a column and bragging about the fact that their church doesn't preach. And some of the things he said were great. He said, I don't preach, uh, you know, little stories about how my car broke down on the way to church. And, you know, I don't, you know, preach so happy and, you know, refuse to preach about sin because people don't like to hear that. He said, I don't do any of that. And he said, we also don't preach ancient creeds. We don't like, we don't like creeds. Uh, our only creed, uh, he, said, he said, no creed but Christ. And, and then he went off to say that, you know, Christ died for our sins and uh, he rose again according to scriptures and is all the gospel. So I took, I cut that out, and I circled where he said we don't preach creeds, and then I circled every statement he made that was a creed and sent it to him. Uh, it's an absurd statement to say we have no creed but Christ, and I'm sure you know some churches are proud of that and put that on their sign. It's absurd. It makes no sense. Christ, for, well, for one reason, it doesn't make sense. Christ is not a creed. So you can't say we have no creed but Christ because the word Christ is not a creed. The dictionary definition of belief, of, of creed, is a statement of beliefs. Well, the word Christ is meaningless without a statement of beliefs. To say we have no creed but Christ without defining what you mean by Christ is like saying we have no creed but gullywoggle. And then you say, well, what's gullywoggle? Well, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> a creed tells people what you believe a creed about Christ tells people what you believe about him so if you say you have no creed but Christ you're saying you have no beliefs about him if you say well I believe the son of God that's a creed if you say I believe Christ was a great moral teacher but he wasn't God that's a creed a statement of beliefs of course on the other side of the coin there are those who believe in a very detailed creed they know the Bible perhaps better than most theologians. They can debate the most obscure theological points, yet they exhibit no fruit of the Spirit, or very little. For some reason, the Reformed faith attracts a lot of people like that. And a friend of mine and I, uh, Elder, uh, were talking the other night, we were talking about this very thing, and we decided that a good term for those folks is dysfunctional intellectuals. You probably have known some dysfunctional intellectuals. And I, again, not up here to attack people. I use that as an example of going to the other side. Uh, the other side of being so-called creedless. James 2.26 says, The body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you have to know the Bible, but if you stop there, you know better than the demons. That, that believe and tremble. Remember, Satan knows the Bible better than you do. He's had a lot more time to study it. Uh, he quoted for, from memory to Jesus. Uh, so knowing a creed and knowing every verse of the Bible by heart is not going to save you. You have to have saving faith in Christ with your saving. You know, the famous uh, passage in Romans 10, if you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and, uh, and shall believe in your heart that, Christ, that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. 
Faith comes by knowing the word of God and believing it. Faith comes by knowing the word of God and believing it, of course, comes from it. It is a gift of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you know the word of God? By reading it and by hearing it. Romans 10, 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? 1 John 2, 3, And hereby we know him, excuse me, hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So how can you keep his commandments, which it says here, we know him if we keep his commandments. That's how we know that we know him. How can you keep his commandments if you don't know what they are? And they're right here. So you got to know this. One writer's advice is, make it the first morning business of your life to understand some part of the Bible clearly. Make it the first morning business of your life to understand some parts of the Bible, some part of the Bible clearly. And make it your daily business to obey it in all that you do understand. So take time in the morning with your cup of coffee or whatever to understand, to read Scripture and to understand some part of it more clearly. And make it your daily business to obey it and all that you do understand. The more we study the words of grace, the more grace will fill our lives. Or as John Stott put it, one of the highest and noblest functions of a man's mind is to listen to God's word and so to read his mind and to think his thoughts after him. Martin Luther said, I study my Bible as I gather apples. First I shake the whole tree that the ripest fruit might fall. Then I shake each limb, and when I've shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. So what's the bottom line? In conclusion, a believer who doesn't study his Bible will be professing hot air. He will not be living by faith. And there's a real danger since the just shall live by faith, as Scripture says, this person will not be accounted as just by God. He may profess belief in Christ, but his, the lack of love in his life and his lack of interest in knowing God's word accuses him. Are you feeling pricked in your heart this morning? I am. You know, I, we preach to ourselves as much or more than we preach to anyone else. None of us have studied God's Word enough. None of us have spent enough time in prayer. But am I describing you this morning? And if so, there's a flee, There's a remedy. Flee into the comfort of God's Word. Immerse yourself in its healing waters every day. You know, I've often said, I've probably said it here, what would happen if you didn't eat food? You know what would happen to your body? The same thing happens to your soul if you don't feed it from the Word of God. It just shrivels up and becomes weak, practically disappears, just like the body would if you didn't eat. You don't forget to eat. 
Why do you forget to study God's Word? Why do you forget to feed on the food that is given to you without Christ? And when you do that, when you, you'll find your life changing in ways you couldn't even imagine. Your attitudes will change. Your reactions to things will change. Your husband or wife will notice a change. Your children will notice a change. Or if you're a child, your parents will notice a change. Immerse yourself in God's Word every day. And as you grow in your knowledge of the Bible, you're going to find yourself more and more living for God and not yourself. And you'll receive what no man can explain to you, much less give to you, but what God Himself promises to those who stand fast in Him, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, indeed, we beg, Father, for more faith. We know we are justified once in Christ Jesus and the righteousness of Christ. But sanctification... Increased faith is something we pray for day by day that Thou would grant it to us, pour it in us, Father, so our cup runneth over. We thank Thee, Lord, for sending Thy Son, Jesus Christ, unto us. We thank Thee for the communication of His Holy Spirit, for the light and liberty of the glorious Gospel, for the rich and heavenly blessings revealed therein, such as election, vocation, adoption, justification, sanctification, and hope of glory. We thank Thee that, Father, that Thou hast uh, kept us from the consequences of our many sins. We pray for our nation, Father, that our rulers may rule biblically. And in this upcoming election, Father, that the people will vote for the candidate who most expresses thy will in this particular presidential election. We, we trust thee, Father. We know that thou hast given us great punishment for our national sins, Father. And, Father, we beg thee that we would turn from these sins unto thee and heal this land, Father. We pray for the continuance of the gospel and all the ordinance thereof, and their power, their purity, and liberty. Father, we would ask that the sermon preached this morning be blessed in our heart, that it may be turned into some petitions, Father, that we may pray to Thee, that we may remember to pray to Thee, and that abides in all of our hearts and brings forth great fruit. Father, we ask for preparation for our own death and judgment, which may come at any moment. Father, keep us watching for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please accept our spiritual sacrifice through the merit mediation of our great High Priest and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray.
Psalm 146. stand for the benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.